It's the holiday season during the mid-1980s, and you wake up knowing there's no school. You're finally on vacation until the new year. The days are wide open, and that means pouring through the catalogs to put together your dream wish list. That's followed by a trip to the mall to start your shopping. The mall is packed, but that's part of the fun of the season. While at the mall, you may catch a movie as some great holiday options have been released. After a busy day, you finally head home with the whole night ahead of you, and your biggest decision is what's special to watch on TV. I'm Jamie Logie, and welcome to the Everything 80s Holiday Special. I am here decked out in my finest ugly Christmas sweater. I have the fireplace channel roaring in the background and a honey of a tree in the corner. So grab a cup of nog and settle in for a warm winter's podcast and a trip back to the holiday season in the 80s. Your day starts with pouring through the pages of the classic catalogs of the holiday season. The first, and probably most notable here, is the legendary Sears Wish Book. But there was also the J.C. Penney Christmas Catalog, the Ward's Christmas Catalog, and also big here in Canada, the Consumers Distributing Christmas Catalog. But it was the Wish Book that's one of the most beloved and oldest. The origins of the Sears Catalog go back to the 1880s, when Richard Sears sent out mailers to promote watches and jewelry from the R.W. Sears Watch Company. The Sears Wish Book goes back to 1933, when it was known as the Sears Christmas Book Catalog. According to SearsArchives.com, that first wish book featured 25 pages of toys, and then it just continued on for years becoming a big part of the holiday season during the 1980s. It's here, the new Sears Wish Book, and oh, what a wish book. Over 600 pages, some with gifts your family's never gotten before. Gifts they'll really be glad to open. Gifts that are fun and lovable and unexpected. When those catalogs came out each year, I immediately flipped that giant catalog right to the back for the toy section, like George Costanza flipping to the back for the cheapest wedding invitations. Today, many of the great old editions of the Wish Book have been preserved on wishbookweb.com. And it includes full copies going back to 1937. If you grew up here in Canada, there are also copies of the Canadian Simpsons Sears Wish Book. Let's take a look through the 1985 edition of the Sears Wish Book and some of the notable entries. Page 546 is an entire page devoted to the Glowworms, a collection of sleepy-looking stuffed toy worms that lit up when you pressed them. Released in 1982 by Hasbro's Play School division, these things were a surprising hit in the 1980s, leading to an animated series called The Glow Friends in 1986. There was also a pretty big cross-promotion with Wendy's in 1989. On page 515 in that 1985 Sears Wish Book is an interesting release. 
the Lil Kenmore range of toy appliances. If you remember these things, these toys were incredibly realistic looking. The big four-piece set included a fridge, a range, a cabinet, and a sink. And back then, that whole collection would set you back a significant $104.96. Converted for today, that's over $300. A huge toy in 1985 that took up two entire pages of the 1985 wish book was My Little Pony. The toy line launched in 1982, with the animated series not coming out until 1986. But these were one of the hottest selling toys of the entire decade, with an estimated 150 million ponies sold. And the franchise itself is one of the longest lasting of the 1980s, with movies and TV series still being made to this day. Flipping to page 506 in the wish book is a page devoted to a short-lived toy, but one that still made a dent in the mid-80s, the Wuzzles. The Wuzzles were a plush toy that were two animals combined in one, such as Bumbelion, Hopopotamus, and Rhinoki, and they all come from the island of Wuzz. Each toy Wuzzle came with its own storybook, making them an ideal choice for parents looking for something somewhat educational for their kids. The toy line was launched alongside an animated series that debuted in September 1985. The series, produced by Walt Disney, only lasted for one season of 13 episodes, but served as a perfect commercial to promote the toys for Christmas of that year. Sale price, a relatively steep $17.99 each, or about $50 in today's money. But if you grew up during this time, you know the Wuzzles were a pretty hot brand. The 1985 Sears Wish Book also has some interesting toy entries for products that didn't necessarily make a big splash. In this wish book, you find the toy Golden Girl and the Guardians of the Gemstone. There were also the Huddles, soft plush characters associated with various NFL teams. There were the relatively short-lived sectors. And on page 440, a collection of toys that were pretty big for a little while in the mid-80s. Toy robots like the Tomy Omnibot and the Omni 2000. But the big players were still going strong. For the holidays of 1985, the Cabbage Patch Kids were still a big part of the season, with the wish book devoting a quite significant four entire pages to the products. In 1985, a He-Man Castle Grey Skull went for around $29.99, or about $85 in today's money. 1985 was also the year Hasbro released the Dinobots. And to finish up, on page 442 is a page devoted to the GoBots, with the heading of the page stating, More than meets the eye. I think one of the copywriters for the 85 Sears Wish book got their transforming robots mixed up. 
So you've poured through the catalogs and put together a wish list. But now it's time to head out and start searching for gifts. And in the 80s, that means a trip to the mall. The mall, especially during the holidays, felt like a central hub. It's not only where you look for gifts, but made mental notes of things you wanted. It was the place to meet up with friends while you were off from school. And you didn't even need to necessarily make plans to meet up, as there was a pretty good chance you would just run into people. The mall was a cornerstone of culture in the 80s in a way never seen before. As people had moved out into the suburbs in the 1960s and 70s, they left the downtowns for shopping, and this helped give rise to the malls built on what was then the outskirts of many cities. And like the Sears wish book we just looked at, we come back to one of those defining years of the 1980s, 1985. When it came to mall culture and the holidays, this was one of the most significant of the entire decade. According to a report by the CBC, in 1985, the malls during the month of December were packed more than ever. Consumers were spending more than they had since the start of the decade, and sales were projected to be up an impressive 5%. During the mid-80s, people were spending more and shopping even earlier. The early 1980s was a time of recession and inflation, and as we head into the middle of the decade, things started to turn a corner. Not only did the economy begin to grow, but so did mall culture. The 1980s was the peak of that mall culture, and our malls were like the new town centers or squares. The mall was the new Main Street. The holiday season in the 80s only enhanced the importance of malls in our lives, and they had grown like wildfire. According to a recent Forbes article, in the U.S. right now, there are about 700 malls still in operation. Back in the 80s, there were about 2,500. But with more consumer confidence, the malls during the holidays, especially from the midpoint of the decade and on, may have been the hottest malls would ever be. You've spent a long day shopping at the mall, eating in the food court, and spending a small fortune on Galaga in the arcade. But hey, you're off for the holidays and don't have school tomorrow. What about catching a movie? Well, you're in luck, because the 1980s gave us some all-time holiday classics. Everything 80s will return after these messages. Scrooged, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Ernest Saves Christmas, A Christmas Story, and Prancer. There was no shortage of movies to see during the holiday season in the 80s. But which holiday films from the 1980s were the most successful? According to Box Office Mojo, here are the top eight. At number eight, the movie Nutcracker from 1986. In seventh, One Magic Christmas from November 1985 that starred Mary Steenburgen. In sixth place, the movie Prancer, released in 1989. 
And number five, one of the all-time seminal holiday movies, A Christmas Story, released in 1983. The movie made money at the box office, but was far from a gigantic hit. And it took a while until it became one of the go-to movie choices during the holiday season. The fourth highest grossing movie from the holidays in the 80s, Santa Claus the Movie. Released in November 1985, this is a bit of a lesser known one. Santa Claus the Movie stars Dudley Moore and John Lithgow and tells the origin story of Santa Claus and then how, in the modern era, Santa has to save one of his elves, played by Dudley Moore, who gets manipulated into working for a toy company. The owner of that toy company is also trying to take over Christmas. Santa Claus the movie wasn't a big hit critically or commercially because it didn't make back its relatively high budget. But I feel it's one of those underrated 1980s gems. The third highest grossing holiday movie of the 80s is also one of my all-time favorites, Ernest Saves Christmas. Released in early November 1988, we follow the adventures of Ernest P. Worrell as he helps Santa find a successor. To me, it's the very best of the Ernest movies and shows off the warmth and unique creativity of the great Jim Varney. Ernest Saves Christmas was a pretty big hit, making nearly $30 million at the box office. And if you want some more about Ernest Saves Christmas, it's my latest movie review for the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast over at Patreon.com. If you want to check that out or learn more, you can head to Patreon.com slash 80s or click on the link in the show description. At number two is the Bill Murray classic, Scrooged. Released over the Thanksgiving weekend of 1988, also out during that holiday season around the same time, The Land Before Time, and Oliver and Company. Scrooged is a modern version of A Christmas Carol. Directed by Richard Donner, who directed the first Superman movie, Scrooged was Bill Murray's big return to the big screen after the massive success of Ghostbusters. It had been four years since Ghostbusters, and Scrooge was a huge part of the holidays of 1988. Driven by the song Put a Little Love in Your Heart by Annie Lennox and Al Green, Scrooge was a big hit and brought in over $60 million in North America and $100 million worldwide. And no surprise here, the number one highest grossing holiday movie during the 80s, bringing in over $70 million just in North America, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. The movie that is not only a yearly holiday watching staple, but a massive part of my family's identity and vocabulary. Based on a short story called Christmas of 59, Christmas Vacation was released in early December 1989. It, of course, was a huge hit, but actually finished second at the box office behind Back to the Future 2, which was released about a week earlier. Again, it's a holiday classic and even led to a sequel called National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2 
Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure. This is a real movie, a made-for-TV movie released in 2003 on NBC. But over the years, more and more insights into Christmas Vacation always seem to come out, including this one. Beverly D'Angelo, who played Ellen Griswold, shared that for the famous scene where Clark goes on the extensive, profanity-filled rant about his boss, the rest of the family has their backs to the camera and are wearing cue cards around their necks with the various lines from the scene. It was a very hard monologue, but this approach allowed Chevy Chase to see everything he needed to say, but also improv while he was going. One other fun fact, in 1989, Prancer and Christmas Vacation both came out within a few weeks of each other, and both star Johnny Galecki. So it's been a busy day, but you're finally home and settled in for a night of TV. And there are plenty of TV holiday specials to go around. But what are you going to watch? We all know the old classics, but here's a look back at a few lesser known specials that came out during the 80s. The first one is from 1985 and features everyone's favorite mythological siblings, and that is He-Man and She-Ra, a Christmas special. Christmas comes to Eternia, and you'll want to be there. It's the all-new He-Man, She-Ra Christmas special, Monday at 3 on Channel 13. In this ultimate crossover special, Orko, the sidekick, accidentally gets transported from Eternia to Earth. While on Earth, he meets two kids who explain what Christmas is to him. The two kids end up going back to Eternia with Orko and end up captured by Skeletor. But then Hordak appears, as does Horde Prime. With all these adversaries, will the power of He-Man and She-Ra be enough to stop them? Will everyone be able to celebrate the holiday they have never heard of called Christmas? And will the kids be able to make it back home? The hour-long He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special was a way to capitalize on holiday ratings, but also slip in a little product placement while doing so. The special features the Laser Bolt toy, a land vehicle that can stand up to turn into a weapon system. You know, perfect for Christmas. According to IMDb, this was obviously a request by toy company Mattel, as the scene where the Laser Bolt is in called for a flying vehicle, and the laser bolt was a three-wheeled ground vehicle. But during these specials, we also saw some pretty great holiday commercials. Atari would like to thank you for taking us into your homes. We wish you all a happy holiday. Up next, the dried fruit that made an enormous splash in 1980s pop culture and the unique style of animation that brought them to us. I'm talking, of course, about the California Raisins and their inclusion in the 1987 TV special, A Claymation Christmas Celebration. Next, climb aboard! Next reindeer's due any minute. It's those sensational California raisins in the Emmy-winning Claymation Christmas Celebration next. 
The special was created by Will Vinton, the man behind the California Raisins, and their rapid popularity led to their inclusion as the special guest stars for the unique special, one of the all-time great and pretty underrated holiday specials. And speaking of the stop-motion style, but one they dubbed Animagic, we move over to the world of Rankin-Bass. Rankin-Bass is synonymous with TV specials during the holidays, and generations of kids have grown up with Rudolph, Frosty, and Santa Claus is Coming to Town. But there are many more holiday specials from the iconic production company. 18 of them, in fact. And a few of those come from the 1980s. To discuss these better, I reached out to the definitive Rankin-Bass expert, Rick Goldschmidt. Rick is the official biographer and historian for Rankin-Bass and was very good friends with Arthur Rankin Jr. Rick often appears on news segments or on the History Channel to talk about the iconic specials. Rick has written several books, including Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, The Making of the Rankin-Bass Holiday Classic, The Rankin-Bass Frosty the Snowman 50th Anniversary Scrapbook, and the 20th anniversary of the enchanted world of Rankin-Bass. And Rick has provided me some insights for us via email into the company's 1980s specials. The 80s were a unique time for Rankin-Bass, and it was a period when they moved away from the classic characters like Frosty and Rudolph. The first Rankin-Bass holiday released during the 80s is Pinocchio's Christmas from December 1980. The stop-motion special is about Pinocchio's first Christmas, and as mentioned, it was a move away from earlier Rankin-Bass characters. But there was a reason for this. Rick shared with me that Arthur Rankin Jr.'s favorite Walt Disney film was Pinocchio. He particularly liked the artists who did the design work. This led to the making of his series, The New Adventures of Pinocchio. Pinocchio's Christmas was just an extension of that. Rick explained to me that Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass had already done what they could with Rudolph and Frosty, culminating in the 1979 feature film Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, and decided to do something with Pinocchio again. Rick shared with me that he was sure Arthur had fond memories of his series, Next up for Rankin-Bass in the 80s was The Leprechaun's Christmas Gold, released in December of 1981. Starring the great Art Carney as the narrator, The Leprechaun's Christmas Gold is another unique entry and the story of an Irish sailor who gets stranded on an island full of leprechauns and helps them protect their gold from a wicked villain. Rick told me that, quote, the Leprechaun's Christmas Gold is more of a St. Patrick's Day special than Christmas for me. I got to be pretty good friends with Art Carney towards the end of his life, and he loved my first two books. He was thrilled to be a part of that special. It is now seen as part of the AMC marathons, I believe, and it is enjoyable. Unquote. Rick was also friends with Paul Coker Jr., the artist and production designer 
for a lot of Rankin Bass specials, including Frosty and Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Coker created greeting cards and even worked for Mad Magazine. To envision Coker's unique style, just picture the Frosty the Snowman characters and those big snowflakes from the intro of the show. Coker designed the Leprechaun's Christmas Gold, and Rick still has some of his color model sheets from the show to this day. And to finish off is Rankin Bass's very last holiday special, and that is 1985's The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. Throughout the history of Rankin Bass, Santa Claus has been a pretty specific character. He's been portrayed by Mickey Rooney in several specials, and there has been a continuity for the character across many of the specials with a specific history and legacy. But the life and adventures of Santa Claus is a complete diversion from their past. This is a retelling of a book of the same name from 1902, written by L. Frank Baum, the author of The Wizard of Oz. Released in December 1985 on CBS, it's quite the departure from the Santa Clauses we were familiar with from Rankin Bass. It's a bit more Lord of the Rings-ish. And not everyone was a fan. Rick told me, quote, My dear friend, producer Arthur Rankin Jr. hated the life and adventures of Santa Claus. This was produced in a period when Rankin Bass Productions were trying new things based on their great success with The Hobbit, the animated special from 1977. They stayed very faithful to L. Frank Baum's book. I think what Arthur did not like is the fact the warmth was gone. Romeo Muller wrote all of the Rankin-Bass classics, and they all had a certain magic. While the later productions were getting more advanced in the art form and the animagic, they were losing the Maury Law's holiday music and the Romeo Muller writing. They called it quits after that one. Still, it has a huge cult following. Unquote. But that was it. The last holiday special from Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass, and the last stop-motion production for the company that shaped many of our childhoods. So that's the end of a typical day during the holidays in the 1980s. But now it's over to you. I reached out to some members of Patreon.com and asked them to share some of their favorite holiday memories and traditions during the 80s. We start with Nick from Maine. Nick shares this. Christmas season to me was official when I'd get the HBO program magazine in the mail and see Emmett Otter. Then I would take out my Disney Christmas album and play it nonstop for a month. Only one time in my life did I write a combined letter to both Santa Claus and God himself. That was to do everything in my power to get the Millennium Falcon. Thankfully, they listened. And of course, nothing was better than seeing that spinning CBS special presentation logo knowing Rudolph or Charlie Brown was coming. But my worst memory is asking for an NES as everyone else had one and I opened the box to find an Atari 7800. My parents said it would have been a waste to get a Nintendo due to all my 2600 games. I've recently begun the process of forgiving them. 
Next, Babastiki from Oregon State. Quote, I remember one of the greatest Xmas gifts was choosing, LOL, out of a Sears catalog, my future gift for later. Transformers was the toy to get, and I picked the Constructicons. To finally open up and put together Devastator, it was probably the greatest toy ever. Nothing has ever reached that height of anticipation and joy for a gift since. Traditions, probably heading to my grandma's house for the holidays. It was like a family reunion and meeting all my like-aged cousins at the time. Just a fun old time. Smells of cookies being baked and flashing lights that could be seen from outside and inside neighborhood houses. Some everlasting images that are still implanted in my mind as a kid from the 80s. Next, we have Jen from Nebraska. Jen shares, quote, One of my most memorable Christmases was 1989. We drove from Nebraska to California to spend time with my grandfather before he passed the next April. We also got a Nintendo that year, and I got a Walkman and the Hangin' Tough cassette by New Kids on the Block. I listened to that tape so much, I knew every single song in it by heart. Another highlight of our Christmases was a pinata from our cousins. We live in Nebraska, and all of our cousins live in California. So a pinata filled with candy and little toys was always fun. And now we have Joel from Hamilton, Ontario, who has a podcast of his own called Cinema Time Capsule. Joel says, on Christmas Eve, my family ordered takeout. First, a local burger joint called Fire King Burger and later Kentucky Fried Chicken that we ate on the floor of the living room, a once a year only tradition before going to our church's service and then visiting our neighbors. For years, their son told us that he was getting reports on his ham radio about Santa's whereabouts, and we would anxiously tell our parents that we had to go home as Santa approached. It was many years later that we learned Ben did not have a ham radio and made up the whole story every year for our enjoyment as well as that of the adults who were aware of the ruse. Presents magically arrived that night and we always had a lot, even if they were knockoff brands. In the morning, my sister and I would be fascinated by the notes Santa left for us besides the crumbs of cookies he ate and what remained of a carrot we left for the reindeer. I can still imagine myself in that house with those records spinning on my dad's turntable and the excitement that filled us for that month every year. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this journey back to the holiday season during the 1980s. So wherever you are in the world and whatever you celebrate, I hope you get to enjoy the traditions that are most special to you and that you're surrounded by the people you love.